The following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Well, good morning. My name is Robert Dodson. Uh, I serve as an elder here at FBC, and uh, I've been married to my wonderful wife, Tracy, who many of you might know, for 33 years now, which is such a blessing. Uh, We've been blessed with five kids. So what's unique about us, out of our kids, four of our five are adopted, and uh, it's just been an absolute joy. Uh, We now have three of those kids married. We have two granddaughters and a brand new grandson that was born in January. And by God's grace, we have two more grandsons due May and June this year, which we are so excited about. My fear, as I fast forward in time, is about five years from now, we're going to have these three boy cousins, all in Gene Mueller's class. And they're going to be a little gang that's going to be, be wreaking havoc in there. And Gene's going to meet with me because I'm the common denominator to all of this. So it's going to be a joy. We're wrapping up parenting this week. This is part two. Um, and we're looking at Ephesians 6. And parenting's a word that brings many, many emotions. I found some funny quotes on parenting. It said this, being a parent is like folding a fitted sheet. No one really knows how. A two-year-old is kind of like having a blender, but you don't have a top for it. When my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen. When they're finished, I climb out. Adolescence is a period of rapid changes. Between the ages of 12 and 17, for example, a parent ages as much as 20 years. Welcome to being the parent of a teenager. Prepare for large amounts, large amounts of eye rolling, emotional outbursts, and thoughts of running away. And that's just the parents. <laughs> when I say the word parenting, what do you think of? What goes through your mind? Some of you are thinking, boy, I am glad to be done with that phase of life. Others are thinking, I am in it. Please send help. Others, I miss it. Others still, I can't wait for it. Some of you are in it and say, I love it and I want more kids. Some here are older and and think, I wish I did things different. Some might be here today thinking, this is great for you and those that are parenting, but it doesn't apply to me. This message is critical for everyone to understand. Listen, as individuals, it's important that children who are in this room right now, children that are sitting here, you are living this, and these commands are directly to you today. Teenagers that are here, I think junior high might be in this group. I love it. I saw the height. Where are my junior hires, by the way? See, they're all right here. I love it, including Jonathan, who's not a junior hire, but he's staff. I like it. Listen, this passage applies to each and every one of you. Collegian singles, this is a target for the type of parent that you want to be and that you should be looking to marry someone who holds these same biblical values. Young families, obviously this applies to you. 
a pet peeve of mine, though, is what, what, I hear terms about you that have these young kids right now that people say things like, hey, they're the ones, you're the ones that are in the trenches. And I would say, that always bothered me. Because think about it. What is a trench? We're saying you're in the trenches. That's like a, a military term, right? You see these World War I things where you had a trench over here, the enemy was in the other side with a trench, and you were standing up trying to shoot each other. Is that what parenting is? It's not what parenting is. You're not in the trenches. You wanted these kids. You're not in a battle with them. It's a privilege. There's families of teens in here, and this obviously still applies to you. Grandparents. Can I get a show of hands? How many grandparents do we have in here? Look at that. We had a lot last hour, too. I love it. I read a sign the other day that said this. Do you want to know why my child is bad? Because I cannot spank grandma. Some of you grandparents here, listen, you were wonderful parents. Don't grandparent different than you parented. Some of you have regrets. Be the best grandparents you can be to these grandkids. Listen, that's us as individuals. What can we do as a church? Think about the ministries we have to support parenting. Our children's ministry exists to support you parents in biblical parenting. Our youth ministry is there is to come alongside you as parents. College and doulos exist to prepare young people to love Christ, have great marriages, and raise a generation of godly kids. CGs are there to help people become more like Christ, to work on strong, healthy marriages, and to raise a generation of godly kids. We have ministries like Rooted, Moms by Grace, Moms at the Park, to come alongside families and point them to Scripture and help to mentor you young parents. We have groups like Focus and Saturated. I love these ministries. Those are our senior saints. You all in those ministries need to be connected to young people and shepherding them. We need Rooted, our young family ministry, and young marrieds to meet with you all. You can help mentor these young people, help them, and you could take the experience you've learned through a biblical lens and pass it on to them. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. This is what we need to be about as individuals and as a church. Taking the precious truth of the gospel, living it, and making sure that we are telling it to the next generation. Parenting matters to all of us. Last week, Sean did an amazing job walking us through Deuteronomy 6. I hope this week you've all been challenged to parent like a boss. This week we're going to be challenged to parent like God designs. His title is much more hip and cool. Mine is much more sober-minded, and I might add godly. But anyways. <laughs> Ephesians 6 is one of the clearest and most concise passages on parenting in Scripture. Let's read together. Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6. Read with me there. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we come before your word, Lord, there is so much truth here. 
I pray that you would be with all of our parents, that they would understand what your word is so clearly teaching them. I pray that we as a church can help support them in this endeavor. I pray, Lord, that your word would not return void and that many would be uh, just encouraged by their time this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Point number one this morning, our first imperative family command is obedience. Obedience. Look at verse one. It says here, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Listen, moms, dads, isn't this the first verse we learn as parents? It's the greatest verse. And then it's the first verse we teach our children. What a verse. My kids might not listen to me, but they will listen to God surely, right? The word here for children is techna. It does not refer particularly to young children, but all offspring. Sons and daughters still under their parents' roof or authority. It ties into verse 4. So as long as children are under your discipline and instruction, this verse applies to them. Hupaka'au is the word for obey. It literally means to hear under, to listen with attentiveness and respond positively to what is heard. Children are to put themselves under the words and authority of their parents. The idea is to obey by listening to an authority. It is their fundamental role as a child. The Greek word for obey means to obey on an ongoing basis, and it is a command, not an option. In the Lord here refers to the sphere of pleasing the Lord, to obeying parents for the Lord's sake. Children obey their parents as reflective of their obedience to the Lord. The context makes it clear that in the Lord applies to honor as well as obey. But parents are to be obeyed and honored because to do so is to obey and honor the Lord. Listen, you children that are here this morning, you are to obey your parents because it honors Christ and this is what he wants you to do. Pick up your toys, finish your dinner, come to dad, don't hit your sister. You are called to obey Teenagers, my junior hires, Christ is commanding you to obey your parents in whatever it is they ask of you. Do your chores, finish your homework, unload the dishwasher, delete that app, be home at 9 o'clock when all your friends can stay till 10.30. Teens, whatever it is that your parents say, unless it is in direct violation of scripture, you are to obey. Notice here, it doesn't matter why. Children tend to obey as long as they agree. They ask why, and if it makes sense to them, they will submit. I often think of the story of Abraham offering Isaac. What an amazing testimony of Abraham's life. All those years waiting for the promised son, Isaac finally comes and God tells him, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. What must have been going through Isaac's mind at that point in time? I know I would have been saying, this makes no sense. God, why do you want to do this? This is the promised son. I would have had so many why questions. And what scripture tells us is Abraham got up early the next morning and went and obeyed to the point where he went up on the hill with the knife ready to plunge into his son because he was obedient. Not once did he understand the whole scenario. Not once did he ask why. He simply obeyed. Mary's a tremendous example of us. In Luke 1, 38, it says this, And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. When she was given the news to be pregnant with child, having never known a man, to think of all that she would have to account for in life, to be able to just submit to God, may it be done to me according to your word. What a great 
testimony of obedience without understanding everything. Our goal as parents is that our children obey with a heart that is under submission. We must work hard to teach our children first-time obedience. First-time obedience develops the virtue of self-control. Self-control means doing the right thing whether you feel like it or not. Self-control is so important because whatever it is we ask them to do, they cannot do it unless they have the ability to turn off what they want to do and do what we have asked them. It does not come naturally to children. It must be developed. Like any talent, skill, or quality, it is developed through practice and repetition. The more you practice, the better you get. Every time your child has to obey you the first time when they don't want to, it develops their self-control. When we were first parenting, Tracy and I, we heard a quote from Fred Barshaw. It said, train your child in the habit of doing good. When they are young, we would say to them, son or daughter, look at my eyes. You need to go pick up your toys. Yes, dad. Son or daughter, look at my eyes. Time to put your coloring book away. Yes, dad. Brody, look at my eyes. I need you to go get me a water. Yes, Robert. Yes, Robert. See, Brody's not being obedient. I got to talk to his parents. No, he gets it. He didn't know. There will probably be tens of thousands of interactions just like the ones we said above as they are young. They are learning to focus their attention on you and to receive what is being said, to listen attentively and acknowledge that they will do it. Every ounce of them might not want to do this, but they learn the practice of self-control to say no to their own desires and to obey. Too often they don't say no to themselves, which gives you the opportunity through discipline to correct that behavior. Through these countless exchanges, self-control is growing in the hearts. They are learning obedience. Folks, you can train your kids. Kids are really smart. I remember a time our youngest, Stephanie, who's now 18, she was in a high chair and we were at the dinner table and she was at the opposite end of the table for me and she stood up in her high chair. She must have been a year and a half. And I was sitting the other end, and Tracy said, Stephanie, you need to sit down. Yes, Mom. She looked at her and just didn't obey. So Tracy goes, Rob. And I, I tuned in, and I said, Stephanie, sit down. Yes, Dad. And she just stood there. So I stood up, and I started walking towards her. And it was remarkable. As I started walking towards her, I watched her go like this. <laughs> and I, I got about halfway, and I thought, this is remarkable. And I stopped. And as soon as I stopped, she stopped. And so I thought, huh, this is interesting. So I started to back up. And as I backed up, I watched her go like this. And it was like this game. And I, it was unbelievable. As I walked around her, she timed it perfectly that the moment I arrived, she was sitting. And I thought, that's brilliant. Honestly, that is so smart. Kids are really smart. We don't give them enough credit for what they can be taught and learned when they're young. We must work so hard at this when our kids are young, teaching them self-control because, parents, you don't want a teenager without self-control. You don't want that. I love how this verse ends. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is what? Right. It is right, proper, exactly as it should be, because God declares it so, and this is the family structure that he has chosen. I think sometimes parents prioritize this when they have young kids and they start thinking that as they get older on their own, they don't need to submit. 
Can I challenge that thinking and remind you that life is about submission, is it not? We're called to submit to each other, Ephesians 5.21. We're called to submit to authority, whether that be work or government. We're called to submit in our marriage just before this Ephesians 5. And ultimately, we're called to submit to the Lord. Our hope in these 18 or so short years that we have with this child is that we teach them to submit to us so that one day they submit to Jesus Christ and his word. We see that children are commanded here to obey parents. What does this mean to us as parents? Parents, do you realize that we stand as God's proxy to our kids? If children are to obey us because Christ wants them to, that means as we command our kids, are we doing it as Christ would? Are we honoring the Lord and how we parent? While our kids are under our authority, we need to train them to obey first time. It's really important. If you're doing things like this when they're young, what are we teaching them, right? Hey, son or daughter, if you do this, I will give you a candy. Or we get frustrated and we begin to raise our voice at them. We use their middle name as they get a little older, right? When you use their middle name, now they know they're in trouble. Are we counting to three? You know, go clean up your toys. One, two. My mom used to go two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths. That's when I'd obey. I wouldn't do anything until I hit two and seven eighths because it was right before three. As they throw a fit, do we just try and give in and try and solve their temper tantrum? Or are we teaching them to obey first time? We also need to make it as easy as possible for our children to obey. What do I mean by that? Imagine your son, you've allowed him to play Legos before you go to bed at night, and he's there, he's been working on this, this whatever he's building all night long. He's been there for 45 minutes working on it, and he's almost done. We don't know what it is, but in his mind, he's building this contraption, right? And then what typically happens when we're parenting is, I, listen, I worked all day. We've been fun parents. We had dinner. We've cleaned. We're this and that. It's time for them to go to bed. I'm ready for the kids to go to bed. Am I not? I'm ready. So I walk in and I go, hey, Jimmy, time for bed. Yes, dad. And here's poor Jimmy with his Legos. He's four pieces away from finishing. And I've put him in a spot right there where he has to obey. I've uttered the command, but I've done it in an impatient way that hasn't been an easy way for him to help. And you know what we found with our kids when they were young? If I'd walk in, I don't have a Jimmy, by the way. I don't know of a Jimmy, but it's a name that fits because of it. But if I go in and say, hey, Jimmy, listen, we're going to bed in two minutes. I want you to wrap up your Legos, all right? Yes, Dad. Yes, Dad. You know what you find out? Jimmy's got those four pieces left. He rushes to get those four pieces on. Before the two minutes even finishes, he picks up the Legos, he puts them back in his little bin, and he puts the bin on the shelf, and he comes running over to start getting his jammies on and start getting dressed, right? Two different ways to accomplish the same thing, but one used wisdom to help them obey easier, and the other was just a demand right then and there because I was impatient. Your teenager wants to go hang out with friends, and we feel like they've been gone too long. So immediately we just say, fine, you can go, but you got to be home by 9.30. Yeah, but mom, everybody's going till 11. Nope, I said 9.30. And now we've created this tension versus, okay, you want to go out with your friends? Well, what are you guys doing? Where are you going to be? What are you guys going to be doing together? What time is it going to end? Well, listen, let's determine, let's say 10.30 is when you get home, right? You can make a wise decision working through it rather than just impatiently uttering the command. We want to make it easy for them to obey when we can. 
Thirdly, we need to guard our words. Once you utter a command to your kids, they need to obey, parents. I was standing when we used to meet at Bella Vista with a, with a young dad on the patio, and his daughter was running by, holding hands, skipping with a dear friend of hers, running over to the coffee area to get mints. They were so excited. They got out of class, and all this was happening. And he called over to his daughter and said, Hey, daughter, come here. Yes, dad. And she said, Dad, I'm just going to get some... Da, da, da. And he goes, Okay, go. And I said, Do you realize what you just did? He was a good friend. I said, Do you realize what you just did? She didn't obey. And he goes, I know, but I shouldn't have done it. I said, but you did. And he said, what could I have done different? I said, call her over. And so he said, no, come here. I said, yes, Dad. So he came over and he said, hey, I just want to tell you I love you. Go have fun with your friends, right? But he uttered a command that he wasn't ready to back up. Parents, we can't be waffling on all of our commands. Once we utter them, we need to have them obey. We cannot possibly Cover every possible scenario in parenting and obedience you have as parents in a message like this. Come tonight and next week and we'll get really practical. Can I encourage you, find a mentor couple that can help you. Have people watch how you parent to show them the blind spots that you might have as parents. Parents, it takes a lot of wisdom as we raise our kids, doesn't it? Some of you are here and thinking, man, I haven't been doing this. I have not been holding them to this obedience. What do you do if you have been doing this wrong for so many years? Can you now put a stranglehold on them? I would encourage you to sit your kids down and admit that you have been doing it wrong. Apologize and talk to them about the importance of them submitting to Scripture. Tracy and I were in Albania in October, and we did a two-night parenting conference, and we taught through Ephesians 6. Um, These parents in here, most were women, had never heard anything on parenting. Not just nothing from the Bible. They've never been taught anything. In parent. There's no parenting books in Albania for them to read. In Albania, basically, when you raise a child, you don't let them cry when they're young. You give them whatever they need to not cry. You hold them, feed them, whatever it takes. And as they get older, literally in Albania, you just smack them if you don't like what they're doing. There's very little training, if any. And that night, there was this sweet couple from the church named Cezanne and Alona. And after the message, they went home. They sat their two-year-old daughter and their 10-year-old son down, and they said to him, we are so sorry. We have been doing it all wrong. We just learned in the Bible that we need to teach you to obey, and we haven't been. Things are going to be different going forward. Alana told us that she started using the yes mom, yes dad. We had talked about that. In Albania, they, said, they would say po, mom, po mama. And her 10-year-old, she said that for the first time to her 10-year-old son. And he looked at her like, what is this, right? Like, were you nuts? And, and she said, after though, she explained it. She started using that over and over again. Within two days, the kids were replying, yes, mom, and beginning to, to do what they needed to do. It was so sweet to watch this change in the couple there. If things have been going in your home not as they should, it is so good to fix it apologize, do the right thing, and sit down with your kids and tell them the direction going forward. Listen, teaching our kids obedience is always important, as this is God's standard for parenting. But can I just tell you what saddens me is there is such a strong push today from culture against this, against obedience. Culture today is all about me. I can do whatever I want, live however I want. I can be whatever gender I want. My truth is what matters. Anything that supports my truth is good. And if, do, if it doesn't support it, it is bad. If you tell me I am wrong, you are a fascist. 
Look at the anger in the world today when you speak out against things like abortion. You can see the vehement response from people that are so angry because we're taking away their right to make whatever choices they want with no consequences. You look at transgenderism. We're, what we're giving into and allowing these feelings in young kids to be blown up. I know you as parents are looking at this going, what is going on? We live in this conservative valley in, in Marietta, and, and yet you go into the men's room right here, and there's feminine products in the men's room. What is going on? You have things like defund the police, right? I don't want an authority in my life stopping me from doing it what I want. There's no aspect of submission being taught at all in society today. But can I encourage you as parents, instead of being terrified by what, we, by what we see in the world, allow it to motivate you to see what happens when children are free to express their selfishness. You hear all the time, I want to be my authentic self. That is selfishness to the core. When a child is free to behave however they want, look where they end up. We as parents need to consistently expect obedience from our children and develop a heart of submission to authority. It's always critical because it's in God's word, but it's as critical now as it's ever been, amen? It's a hard time. Our first family command there is obedience. Our second imperative family command is honor. Honor. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 says this, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. The right attitude behind the right act of obedience is honor. Honor here means to value highly, to hold in the highest regard and respect. Honor is the worth one ascribes to a person. It's tied back here to the Ten Commandments, and it's the, in the Ten Commandments is the only commandment that deals with the family, honor your father and mother. This one principle is enough to define a godly family. If children including our youth, honored their parents, esteemed them as valuable and worthy. Our children will obey, they will respect, they will show humility, and the home will function properly. Can you imagine, just imagine your home, those of you particularly who have middle schoolers and high schoolers. There'd be no stress at all in the home if your kids just honored you, right? For you parents of youth kids, isn't this the biggest issue we're just always dealing with their attitude. It's a lack of honor. It was so critically important that God commanded in the Old Testament in Exodus 21, 15, he said this, he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Leviticus 20, verse 9 says, he who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Physical or verbal abuse would get the death penalty. Imagine if youth, by the way, imagine with our junior hires, if last hour you heard the news that while they were sitting there in youth ministry, in walked Justin Bieber, right? Can you imagine the look on their faces as Justin Bieber walked in? They would be in shock. And I love it. The same thing happened in, in high school. I'm looking at our junior hires, and they all got, have like a big grin, just imagining Justin Bieber. But Justin comes in and says, hey, can somebody get me some water? Our junior high kids jump up. Yes, Miss Justin I don't know if they'd call him Mr. Beaver. Justin, I'll get some water. They're running up doing that. Can you get this for me? Anything you need, Mr. Beaver. I'll do whatever, right? They would honor him and be so excited to see that. What is so sad when I teach on this, I usually use the illustration of the President of the United States walking in. 
but my fear is it's Joe Biden, and if I use that as an example, you guys, as parents, wouldn't honor him. (laughs) But he is the president, and we would honor him, would we not? There would be an aspect of honoring him. We might disagree with him, but we would honor the position. If John MacArthur walked in this morning, and instead of me, I know you'd be terribly disappointed, it was John MacArthur that taught this morning. Imagine the difference. Wow, John MacArthur is here, this man who I've heard and seen. Students, you should be treating your parents the same way you would these individuals. Think about that. Junior hires, that's how you should be treating mom and dad. Instead, are you being disrespectful, rolling your eyes, giving attitude, getting angry? The Bible calls you to honor mom and dad. You know what I love that's important to look at? Look at the result. When, when our kids obey and honor us, look at the result. It says here in the passage that it may be well with you and that you live long. That it may be well with you relates to the quality of life and that you may live long on the earth relates to the quantity of life promised. The original promise was to the Israelites, but Paul's reference to it means that it extends to believers today. I love that term, well with you. Tracy and I years ago worked with junior hires, and I remember teaching and had a time teaching the junior hires, and we one Sunday were talking about this verse, well with you, and I asked all the junior hires, what do you imagine life to look like for you? Let's fast forward 10, 15 years. What do you imagine life to look like? You know what they all said? Mr. Dodson, I want to have a good marriage. Amen. I love it. You want to have a good marriage. I want to have a good job. Great. That's a wonderful goal. You know, I want to make a lot of money. I love that. They always wanted to make a lot of money and have a really nice house. I would always ask the junior hires, tell me about your kids. Oh, I want to have a lot of kids, Mr. Dodson. Great. How are those kids going to behave? Oh, Mr. Dodson, they're going to be very obedient. That was always my favorite thing. They just imagine this pristine, perfect life, right? A great marriage. That's what they want. That's what kids want. I never had one junior hire say, you know, Mr. Dodson, I, I, I kind of hope I get a divorce. Maybe three or four. You know, Mr. Dodson, I've seen drug addiction looks like a pretty attractive lifestyle. You know, Mr. Dodson, I was leaving the, the store the other day and this guy was holding a cardboard sign getting money. That looks really, I'd love to do that. You know, Mr. Dodson, I'd love to be a gamer and play video games all, well, maybe they would say that. Listen, the point is this. They all want a good life, don't they? They do. Our kids want a good life. And a child, and and listen, you want that, kids? Can I be clear? Junior hires, look up at me for a second. You want a good life? You know what? Obey and honor your parents. That's what this passage is saying. Why is this true? We all know this. Because a child that learns obedience and honor, what kind of husband will that young boy be, right? A young boy who obeys and honors his mom and dad, what kind of husband is he going to be one day? That young girl who's learned to obey and honor mom and dad. What kind of wife is she going to be? She's going to be sweet, submissive, come underneath her. What kind of employee will those young people be, right? They're going to honor their company. They're going to do what they're told. They're going to obey and be hard workers. I always think, what kind of servant in the church would they be one day? What a great thing. Listen, the Bible promises it will be well with you if you obey and mom and dad. The other aspect of this promise is that you will live long. And it does refer to a length of time. But this live long is like a proverb. It's not always guaranteed, but generally true. 
I love Ted Tripp uses this illustration of he was a young boy and he was climbing a fence and trespassing into somebody's property and his brother Paul was with him. And as Ted was on the top getting ready to jump over, Paul just looked over at him and said, you don't want to live long, do you? He got the concept. If you are obedient and honor your parents, think about this, right? Young people that are obedient and honor their parents, they will make good decisions in life. They won't do stupid things. The odds are they're going to live longer. It's a general thing like a proverb. I was thinking this week as well how all kids imagine their life being so good. And I thought, isn't that true? Isn't that exactly what we want as parents for our kids? We want our kids to have a great marriage, a great career, and a great life. And I thought of this for a second. Do you understand? Kids and parents, we're on the same team. We want the same goal. And if we're trying to accomplish the same thing, why is there tension? We're all about the same thing. Listen, young ones, junior hires in particular, your parents wanted you, prayed for you, cried the day you were born, sacrificed sleep, changed your diapers, fed you. You would have died if not for them. Your parents have clothed you, signed you up for sports teams, dance class, taken you to countless events, stayed up when you were sick, fed you, you the teenage boys in this group, which is a, like feeding an army. Your parents, kids, want you to obey and honor them because it is so important for you to learn. We want you to have a great marriage, a wonderful career, to love Christ. Obeying and, and honoring your mom and dad sets you up for success. If you don't learn this at home growing up, boy, you've got a rough road ahead of you, don't you? That disobedient, unsubmissive child is not going to just magically change one day. It's going to be a rough road to learn. Parents, you have your kids for 18 years or so. This is just a stewardship, a brief time in their life. Isn't it funny how life works? If you ask me about my family, I'm going to tell you I have my wife, Tracy, and we were blessed with five kids. Three of them are now married, so I feel like we have eight kids. I have three grandkids with two more on the way. I'm not telling you about my parents and grandparents, right? Isn't it when you think of your family, it's always looking down? That's what life is going to be for our kids. If you ask Jesse, my oldest, and her husband, James, about their family, they would tell you they have two girls and a third one on the way. That's what it's about. You're raising your kids, and it's the stewardship that we have for maybe 18 to 20 years, and then they're going to be going off and having their own families. Are they not? They're going to spend most of their time with their spouse and future kids. We are just doing what we can to train them, and we need to parent with their future in mind and not our convenience now. The time is short. I remember being in the teenage years with our kids and Tracy and I would say to them all the time, we only have a few years left with you and you need to understand this. Share often with your kids, this is for your best. Teenagers sometimes think we just want to control them. Scripture is clear, it will be well with you when you obey and honor mom. This is for their best, right? So we looked at obedience, we looked at honor. The third imperative family command here is do not provoke. Do not provoke. Look at verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers here is the biological male, different from parents in verse 1 and father-mother in verse 2. He means, Fathers, it is your responsibility. Now, moms, that doesn't mean that you can provoke. 
This is a universal command, but specific here to fathers. Provoke, the word there means to cause someone to become provoked or quite angry. To cause to be provoked, to make angry. This is exasperating your children. Expect obedience, but be careful in wielding an unbiblical authority that exasperates. It is difficult to discern sometimes between the willful disobedience of a child and provoking. How can we tell the difference between those two? We were teaching on this and somebody in our our church, Carrie Clanton in our CG, said it this way. Disobedience is their sin. Provoking is my sin. It's a great way to look at it. Provoking creates resentment and an abiding desire for retaliation or vengeance against the parent, which unfortunately often carries over into the child's attitude towards other authority figures and even to God. Sometimes I deal with parents who come to me and say, my child doesn't listen. They're angry. You know what I found? Often that child is frustrated by his or her parents. And I would too, to be honest with you. We can provoke our children and exasperate them. I was at youth one time and there was a dad that uh, just talked to his son and it was, he was in trouble. And just the way he, he verbalized talk to his son in front of his friends just made him feel so ashamed, this kid, after he made a bad choice. We can do that to our kids, can't we? Trying to make a point. You think you deserve that? We can just be so rude to our kids. What are the ways that we can provoke? First, we can be inconsistent. We can be inconsistent. Rules one day are this, and the next day they're not. And we apply them one day, and the next day we don't. Our poor kids, one day they can do it, and the next day they get in trouble for it. They don't know what's going on. They're trying to figure it out. Discouragement. Don't be those parents that's so negative about your kids. We can be impatient, right? I might overreact and fly off the handle because I'm in sin and impatient and my child might have done something but I reacted too strongly, did I not? Hypocrisy in my home. If I'm living a different way than I I tell my kids to. I think of anger towards them, neglect, abuse, harsh tones. You know what's a big one is not admitting when you're wrong. Are we perfect parents? We're not. And here we are telling our kids, up, oh, you disobeyed, you need to go apologize, you need to go make it right, you need to go ask for forgiveness. And then when we do the very same thing, I'm, what are you talking about? I, let's ex- be an example to them of doing the very same things, right? It's an important point. Provoking is different for every single one of us. And it's different for each of your children. You realize that? Your kids are going to respond and react differently. Parents, we need to study and know what triggers each of our children. We need to prayerfully evaluate if we are contributing to their outbursts by provoking them. This is a command to us, fathers, to lead in our home to evaluate if we as parents are provoking our children. It is sin if we are doing this. Fathers, be careful not to provoke. Point number four is our fourth imperative family command, and it says this, bring them up. Bring them up. It's a great word, bring up. It means to raise, to rear, to bring up, to nurture, to raise to maturity. It's the same word used in Ephesians 5.29 of a husband's responsibility to nurture his wife. That verse says this, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That word nourishes is the same word as bring up in Ephesians 6.4. So the focus is on the fact that in all that a father does to bring his children to maturity, there should be a provision and a care that assures the child that behind all the discipline and instruction, 
there is a great heart of love, a tender affection towards them. Remember, parents, we are trying to take our children from dangerous disobedience where it won't be well with them and they won't live long to joyful obedience. We bring them up in two distinct ways. The first one is point number one is discipline. Discipline. The Greek word here is padia, which means to discipline or to train. It is the systematic training of our children. It includes commands, admonitions, reproof, and punishment. The tools include rules, guidelines, restrictions, rewards, correction, and structure. Listen, spanking is a part of training our children, but spanking is just one tool of many. This word signifies actions parents take to give their children the abilities and skills and character to live a life to the glory of God. We are showing them how to do the things that a Christ-exalting life requires and holding them accountable to do them as well as they can. When they are young, it involves spanking when it is willful disobedience, putting them maybe in a crib until they're happy, taking away toys or privileges. As they get older, it is teaching them the sowing and reaping principle, right? As they get older, you, you, you can't spank them when they reach a certain age. But we can teach them the sowing and reaping principle that you see all throughout Scripture. Son or daughter, you did this. The consequence then is this. It matches the action or the disobedience that they did. We line them up. Don't randomly throw out discipline like, I'm so mad at you, you're grounded for a year. Are you really going to do that to yourself, by the way? We never would do that. Make it relatable to the offense, right? All of these are actions to help them understand there's consequence to their bad choices. And when they make these choices, this is what happens. The goal here is heart change. Remember that discipline and instruction are distinct and different. If we have done our job with instruction and our kids disobey, they should know what they did. Even at a young age, when your five-year-old hits his sister, you send him into a room, you go in there and ask him, what did you do? And they might go, I don't know. Really? What did you do? I hit my sister. They know it. When your teenager lies, tells you they are somewhere when they are really somewhere else and they get caught. Do you think they don't know what they did was wrong? They know exactly what they did. They know. If they really didn't know, we cannot discipline them. We need to further instruct them. But discipline should be swift. Establish the biblical violation, and often they should be able to tell you, make sure they understand, and administer the appropriate discipline for their age. When they're younger, we spank. When necessary, when it's willful disobedience. And as they get older, we move into other tools as well. Be careful of this as your kids age. Be careful that you don't lecture your kids when they disobey. Remember, these are distinct. If we've done our job in, in instruction, they should understand discipline. I've seen parents, particularly with young kids, like five-year-old kids, when they disobey, they spend two hours in the bathroom with them. And, and I understand their heart behind it is they're trying to get their, their heart right. But you know what's amazing is you watch kids when they're little, you just get them to obey. You walk in and you say, you need to go say sorry to your sister for hitting her. And they walk up to their sister and they go, sorry. And there's not a sorry bone in their body, right? And you can go back in and talk to them for another hour and then bring back, sorry. But if you just say, no, that was not kind. Say sorry nicely. I'm sorry. And then I want you to say, will you please forgive me? When you ask them to say that, it's amazing how the walls break down. And they say, will you please forgive me? And then you see them hug. 
allow restoration to happen. You're teaching them repentance. How well does a two-hour lecture go with your teenager? But you know why we do this? Or why, I'm sorry, why they do this? Why they don't like, they respond and they don't like to be lectured? They know they were wrong. But they don't want to just fess up to it and own it. Because they're prideful. They don't want to just immediately respond and admit it. We expect them when we confront our kids, particularly when they're older and teenagers, we expect them to respond with, boy, mom and dad, you guys are so wise. Thank you for pointing this out to me. You're so right. Please forgive me. I was so wrong, right? Guys, it just doesn't happen that way. Sometimes it takes time. You know what's amazing? And I was, I was thinking about this week. I just want you to think about the last time you've had an argument with your spouse, right? You're looking at your kids going, oh, they're so prideful. I can't believe it. Okay, last time you had an argument with your spouse, how long did it take you to come to the point in that argument to apologize to your wife or to your husband for what you did, what was wrong? We spend the first hour and a half at an argument focusing on what they did wrong, right? We're just as prideful, folks. And you expect your teenagers to just respond immediately? Sometimes it takes time. Come back and talk about it when the tensions aren't as high. Deal with it in their heart. You want to make sure they understand it, but give them time to think and process. You do definitely give them consequences, but you give time, time for them to process. Particularly as the older, you know what's amazing? I love, once, once your kids profess Christ, right? They at some age profess Christ. Do I don't know if they're genuinely saved or not? I don't know. But it's a great thing that once they profess Christ and tell me, yep, I've given my life to Christ. When, when we're having a difficulty and they disobey, it is so freeing as a parent to say, you need to go to your room and I want you to pray about this. And I want you to pray. And the moment you're ready, you can come out and talk to me. The moment you're ready. So they go away for two minutes and come back and go, okay, I got it. No, you didn't. Go back in there and pray, right? You're dealing with all this. But when they really pray, if they're genuinely saved, to see their hearts change and come out and be right, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. Listen, parents, your children will fail often. And you have the opportunity to teach them repentance. Biblical repentance is the pathway to your child's salvation. Every time they fail is an opportunity to teach them repentance, to say, I am sorry, to ask for forgiveness, to right a wrong. All of this prepares that little heart to repent to their Father in heaven one day when they recognize how egregious their sin is to him. An adult who does not know how to repent in life must overcome that handicap when hearing the gospel. Alternately, a child who knows true repentance can respond to the gospel and when they recognize their sin and acknowledge fault to make right the wrong. Correction is not only for the purpose of shaping a child's behavior, it is also a means by which a parent points a child to his need for Christ. When a child fails to live up to the standard which he is taught, it is an opportunity to explain his need for a savior. Every sin is an opportunity for the gospel. Don't get discouraged. Failure is useful. One of the greatest things that can happen in your child is when they understand the standard and after failing again, they say, I just can't do it. You're right, son or daughter. That's why you need Christ, right? We talked about discipline. The second is instruction. Instruction here means to teach or instruct. Instruction is a compound word, nuthesia, which literally means to put or bring to mind. It is more than just teaching. A really good word here is admonish. Admonish. 
It carries a, desire, a tender desire to warn. I read in one commentary, it said, to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct. conduct. Admonition means cautionary advice about something, especially danger or other unpleasantness. We see this word in 1 Thessalonians 5.14 where Paul says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. What the idle need is something a little different than the faint-hearted. That is called admonish, a corrective warning about the fruitfulness of, his, of this kind of laziness. Another great verse is 1 Corinthians 4.14. It says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. There is warmth to the correcting, warning and guiding that parents are called to do. A tremendous example of this is Solomon with his son in Proverbs 7. Solomon waited until the appropriate age to expose his son to temptations he might face in the future and explain the dangers of giving in to that temptation. We read in chapter 7, it says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live, and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend that they may keep you from the, an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. At the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive, and discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Here Solomon is showing his son, look at that young man and what's about to happen. Solomon showed his son how this young man gave in to an adulteress in that chapter. He goes on in verse 24. Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to shield, descending to the chambers of death. Well-meaning Christian parents have a desire to protect their kids from the sinfulness of the world around them. Shield them from exposure. If I create an environment that they won't know about all the sin in the world, they won't be tempted by that sin. But we must be careful not to raise naive kids. We work really hard not to raise the fools of Proverbs, but the naive is just as bad. John MacArthur says, parents cannot and should not try to isolate their children totally from the truth about sin and the subtleties of temptation. We should not cultivate the kind of innocence in our children that leaves them exposed and vulnerable to temptations they never even imagined existed. Our task is to teach them discernment, not raise them to be prudes. Listen, parents, I hate to break it to you. Your kids are sinners. Their sin doesn't come from external forces. Where does it come from? The heart. Proverbs 1.22 says, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? Verse 132 says, The wayward of the naive will kill them. The naive child is just as bad as the foolish one in Proverbs. There's two aspects to this instruction, formal and informal. This instruction is what Sean focused on last week, all throughout the day, talking to your kids all about life through a biblical lens, making Scripture a guide for them, showing how our rules are there for a reason. This is informal instruction that happens naturally. If you love Christ, you will tell your kids all about Him, teaching them the truths of Scripture, telling them how the Lord has worked in your life. Can I encourage you this morning on the formal aspect? We might call this family worship. Tracy and I were so fortunate 
to have this modeled to us by Tracy's brother Scott and his wife Patty Artavanis. Have family worship regularly, every night when they are young. Act out what you're reading. Make it fun. You don't want to be a, a, a parents that go from wrestling and playing and soccer to now sit at the table with me and just read a boring book, right? To a six-year-old kid, this is drudgery. Let's make it fun. We want it to be the highlight of the night for them. Act it out. Dress up. Play with them during that time. It should be the highlight of the evening for them. Can I encourage you? Sing together as a family. One of the joys for me in the last year has been watching my little three-year-old granddaughter, Colby. She walk around the house singing, How Great Thou Art. It's the sweetest thing because her dad is teaching her that song at night during family worship. Pray together as a family. I remember we would lay in a circle on the floor with our heads in the middle and our kids would go around and pray and you just hear their sweet little hearts of prayer. There's nothing better when they're particularly young. Not only did our kids learn during this time, but it created an environment where spiritual conversation became normal. I remember I'd take one of my kids to the store and, and we'd have one-on-one -on -one time and, and I would simply ask them, how you doing? And they knew that the answer was, I want to know and cared about how they were doing spiritually. Our goal here, parents, is to use discipline and instruction in tandem in a caring and loving way to bring them up, to become the young men and women that God can use in a mighty way. I love how the last little phrase here is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This modifies where that discipline and instruction should be focused. It is all about Christ. Fathers, you understand the goal of our whole life with our children will be of the Lord, for the Lord, and through the Lord. The most important thing in raising children is that they come to see Christ, the Lord, as supremely valuable as Savior and Lord. Listen, these are crystal clear commands on parenting found in Scripture. But the application of it, is, of it practically to everyday situations is sometimes really hard, parents, isn't it? Parents want a book that says, when your child does this, you do this. There's a myriad of different scenarios for each of you as parents. Now, your job is to figure out how to take these principles and practically apply it to your parenting each and every day. What you are facing every day, parents, is no different than all of us have faced in the past. You got this. You can do it. We as individuals and as a church are here for you. Just a couple things on my heart as we close in application. Can I just, listen, young couples and families, don't be discouraged about the world around you. Can I encourage you? Have kids. Have kids. This is the perfect time for your kids to be born. You know why? Because it's exactly when God determined them to be born. I love that phrase in the book of Esther that says, Esther was born for such a time as this. Your kids are born for this time. I look at my two granddaughters who are four and three. They just love life. They're not stressed about anything. They're coloring, playing. Life is good in front of them. Secondly, can I encourage you as family, seek input. Don't just receive it, seek it. There are so many mentors at this church, moms and dads that have gone before you. You can learn from, what we, learn from them what we are glad that we did and what we wish we might have done differently. Find couples that are ahead of you. Ask questions. Watch them. Be prepared for coming stages. Ask your children's ministry workers how your kids are doing in there. Ask your youth staff people how your kids are doing. Thirdly, get on the same page. Husbands, Leading doesn't mean you make all the parenting decisions. Leading means you engage with your wife so that you are both like-minded. 
taking the initiative to get to this point. Too often moms are frustrated with their husbands because they are not clued in on things. Your wife thinks about the kids and deals with the kids far more than you do, men. Talk with her, get on the same page together, and then work hard to parent on the same page. Dads, too often we come home from work and unravel all that the wives worked on that day. And lastly, enjoy this season. Enjoy it. It goes so fast. Every season is work. Every season has its challenges. But every season brings so much joy. I loved having a young family. I loved how they grew through elementary school and into middle school and high school. We just sent our youngest to her final high school winter camp. It's so weird to me. We're done with youth camps. So bizarre. I love how my kids started figuring life out for themselves in college. I have loved seeing three of my kids get married and now start their own families. Can I tell you, I love being a grandpa. I love it. It's the best thing ever. Gosh darn it. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says this. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. It is a precious stewardship we have with our children. Before we know it, they are out of our house. But that is how God intended it. They are like arrows that we are shooting out into life. Folks, enjoy every moment of it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you for such a rich passage that has so much truth. I pray that you would be with parents, that we can come alongside them as a church body and support them and love them and encourage them. I just pray that that they would take these truths and practically apply it moment by moment every single day. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the clarity of Scripture that we can enjoy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.